You're listening to The Mom Inspired Show, episode 134 with Christina Gatteri. Welcome to The Mom Inspired Show. I'm your host, Amber Sandberg, and this show is created to inspire, encourage, and add a little extra fun to your day. Hey, you guys, I am super excited to have Christina on the show today. Um, I have been really wanting to focus on bringing on moms that are knowledgeable in the finance world, investing, and wealth building. So if you've noticed that I've been doing a little bit more episodes with that, that is the reason why, because I really want to empower you guys to understand your finances better, if that be investments, 401k, Roth, just your cash flow, your budgets, um, because I want us all to do well. And so bringing on people that can give us information, you know, within a half hour of a podcast, you know, versus trying to read a book and, you know, you know how that just goes. I mean, there, there isn't that much time in a day. So I want to give you guys these tools so that you can walk away knowing a little bit more than you knew before you listen to the show. So I brought Christina on the show today just to talk about financial planning and what it looks like and how does it work with paying them and what do they help us with and what does that look like? So I hope that um, this inspires you to maybe look into a financial planner or just to take a look into your finances and see what you can do differently to make better choices for the future. So before we jump into the show, I wanted to share something with you guys. As you know, this show is all about inspiring one another. And most of the time I have other moms coming on to do just that. But I wanted to take a minute to share with you guys what I've been up to, and I hope it inspires you to live your best life. So I know many of you want to be healthy moms, and that can look different for everyone. But if you've been struggling with getting that extra weight off, if it be 50 pounds or the last stubborn 10 pounds... I wanted to share with you the program I have incorporated into my life personally and am so thankful for. So it's a seven-week online weight loss program called Lean. If you missed the series I did with Amanda, you can check it out at episode 112 to hear more details. But this program has brought so much joy to me in many ways, but one of them is that I have fallen in love with working out again. And with that, I have gained so much more confidence. You guys, confidence that I didn't even realize I had lost. So just to feel strong again, it makes me feel so good. And don't get me wrong, I still have a way to go. This for sure is a process and not a quick fix. But if you're sitting there thinking, this is what I'm missing in my life, then I want you to feel the same way. So I couldn't just keep it to myself. And even better, Amanda has given Mom Inspired Show listeners $20 off. And you cannot get this anywhere else. So all you have to do is go to mominspiredshow.com forward slash lean 20 to find the next rounds. A lot of times she has one to three rounds that are coming up that you can jump on and grab a spot. And also, if you have any questions, feel free to message me on Facebook or on Instagram, or you can email me at any time. Let's go to the show. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I like to start off every show with an icebreaker on travel. I am a travel agent. So I just like asking my guests what their favorite vacation spot is and why. And this can be with or without kids. Yeah, actually, I have a really great spot that we do enjoy with our kids. We love to take a trip up to Bar Harbor, Maine. Oh, yes. And this has been so memorable for us because when we first went, which was only two years ago, but the first time we went, one of the best spots that we went to is Cadillac Mountain. And Mm. if I have my facts straight, it's one of the first places on the East Coast to see the sunrise. So we wrestled the kids early in the morning, jumped in the car, drove up to the mountain and watched the sunrise on the top of Cadillac Mountain. Oh, that's cool. 
there's so many different things to explore, but that's absolutely one of my favorites for the whole family. So we'll get into this, that you're from Rhode Island. Um, yeah. So how far is that from where you are? And do you drive to we Bar do. Harbor? Okay. We drive, took us about five hours and Bar Harbor is very, very close to the Southern border of Maine. So oh, okay. it's, it's actually right around Portland. Um, but yeah, definitely the Southern border of Maine, any further than that into Maine would take us much, much longer, but yeah, a quick five hour drive. It's not bad at all. Kids keep themselves occupied with coloring yeah, books and whatnot. Right. And yeah. we head on up. Yeah. Yeah. So do you just stay in, um, you know, an Airbnb or do you stay in a hotel that you recommend? We stayed in a hotel. Oh, and at the moment I can't remember what it was, but I want to say it was a Hampton. We actually stayed at a town just outside of Bar Harbor itself. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, which was only about a 20 minute ride into the, um, into the Bar Harbor area and Acadia management area oh, yeah. is, is where we spent our time when we were out and about outdoors. But I, I forget the name of the town. I want to say it was Ellington just outside of Bar Harbor was, it was a great spot. Yeah. So mm. do you, do you like, are you hiking and stuff like that? Is that what you're doing mm -hmm. or what? Yeah. What are the things that when you go there, um, I know because I'm a travel agent and I look at itineraries on cruises, Bar yeah. Harbor is one of the ones when you're going the new England, Canada route. Mm -hmm. And, um, apparently I've been there when I was five, but I don't remember that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my mom was like, yeah, we've actually been there. I'm like, Oh, oh I don't funny. even remember that. Um, uh, so, but I do think they have good lobster or something like that. Today, oh or? my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Maine I'm on the right spot. It's lobster. Okay, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny being from Rhode Island and not being all that far from Maine. Yeah. You can get lobster, but yeah. it's still not as common. You walk into any restaurant in Maine and there is lobster on the Everywhere. menu. So you yeah. can, you can sample all kinds of things. Oh, cool. um, the things that we did in Bar Harbor, we spent a day in downtown Bar Harbor itself. So it's got a lot of little shopping areas and coffee shops, but we actually walked out on the sandbar in Ooh. Bar Harbor at low tide. So the kids were able to oh, get their toes in the water and pick up nice. seashells and rocks and things. So that was fun. Um, but the rest of the time we spent in that Acadia management area in the national park, various trails, um, like I said, Cadillac mountain, there's a little beach called Otter Cove. Apparently there's a season where all the sea otters like Aww. to come in. So we just spent some time right on the beach there. There's yeah. another section of the park where you actually, it's a beach with swimming right on the Atlantic. So that is a cool. lot of outdoor things to do. Yeah. yeah it was wonderful. Yeah. That sounds fun. Um, yeah, I, I want to get onto the, uh, East coast and stuff like that. So, but for us, we would have to drive. I mean, we, I mean, fly. Well, driving yeah. would be a long drive. Um, <laughs> so just waiting a little bit for that. <laughs> mm -hmm, Anyways, well, let's jump into the show and you can share a little bit more um, about yourself. How about you share mm -hmm. what your first and last name is? You did say you're from Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, how many kids do you have? And, um, and then we're going to jump into how you got to where you are today. Sure. So my name is Christina Gutteri. And yes, I'm from Rhode Island up here in New England, the smallest state in the union. Um, I have two daughters. My oldest is going to be eight next month. And my little one is five and a half. And um, I'm married to a man who I transplanted from Tampa, Florida. Oh. Don't know how I did that. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was a native Floridian, but yeah, he's been up here about almost 15 years. Oh, now. wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, okay. So just share with us a little bit about um, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. <clears throat> so I've always worked in finance. As soon as I graduated college, I went to college and studied economics and loved the fact that when it comes to economics, there's never one answer to any problem. There's a lot of different things you can try and each is going to have its own results. Uh, I started working for a large bank 
directly out of college and realized that the corporate world just wasn't for me. And sparing the long story, my, my family has always been a family of entrepreneurs. We've always been business owners. And I kind of came to the conclusion very quickly that it was probably just ingrained in my DNA <laughs> to have sure. my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just not wired for the corporate world. So it was now, let's see, 11 years ago that I started my financial advisory practice. And I started it the way most financial advisors do, where you, you speak with all the people that you know and that are close to you and you're goal on day one is just to invest people's money. Mm. That is the, uh, that's how you are indoctrinated into the industry. Just roll the assets and, and make sure you're talking to people about their investments. But over the course of the last 11 years, what I've discovered, and I think a lot of this had to do with my demographic, I'm currently 37 years old. And so if I started this 11 years ago, I was a 26 year old financial advisor (laughs) trying to speak to a lot of older people about how they should manage their money. And it took a lot to build up the confidence to be able to do that for myself so that I could also get them to be confident in what I was telling them. And what I have molded this practice into is instead of talking about the money immediately on day one, I spend a lot more time getting to know who they are, what helps them feel fulfilled and joyful in their lives. If there's something they're struggling with, we have to work through that because if they're not right in their own with, with themselves, if there's an emotional thing going on, they ultimately don't make good financial decisions. We react emotionally to a lot of things. So I, I spend a lot of time working with people on things that they can incorporate day to day to either adjust their routine or incorporate a little bit of self-care because it ultimately results in better decision-making down the Mm. line. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I wanted to have you on because I really want to empower women, especially moms to understand their finances Mm -hmm. better. And uh, I've had several women come on the show talking about wealth building, leaving legacies and uh, real estate investing. But I thought it would be good to just start with the basics, right? Kind of like what you're saying, like building that um, self-care in, like what are you doing Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis? And so let's just start from the beginning of what does it look like to hire a financial planner and what are some tips on finding one that you can feel really great about? Because I think sometimes people, well, I think there's so many different kinds of financial planners. Yes. And so I think people are just like, I don't know, like, are they just helping me with my 401k? Are they helping me with my budget? Are they doing that? And so how about you just walk us through what your thoughts are on that? So then it gives the audience a little bit better picture of um, what's out there. Yes, definitely. There are many types of financial advisors out there. We all work with our clients in a little bit of a different way. So before considering working with a financial planner, what I like to see people do is at least have a short list of things that you're looking for help with. If you know that you don't necessarily need help with budgeting and cash flow, and you're more concerned about trying to save more money and in, in what places to put that money, needing help with your 401k, and it's very investment focused, you'll find a financial advisor that's very good at just that investment side of things. If you're someone who more so needs to structure their cash flow, create a budget, maybe pay down some debt, and you've got some more hands-on or nitty-gritty kind of things, then have, have that framework available to you so that as you are interviewing different financial advisors, you will begin to know which one of those advisors is going to fit better with the things you've identified you need help with. Yeah. The other thing that may come out as, and so let me jump back. I said, interviewing financial advisors, you definitely want to talk with more than one. You may even want to talk with more than five. There are so many of us out there again, that all work differently with everybody. 
you should never feel like you are being sold to in the first meeting. And if you do feel like you're being sold something in the first meeting, that's not the person for you. Because if they're trying to sell to you, they're not listening to what you really need. They already have in their minds what they want you to do. And they're not listening to what Mm, you need. mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Once you've interviewed a few advisors and you feel like you've found some personalities that click, that's great. Um, Something else you can do to sort of do a background check on an advisor is there are websites both through FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, which is one of our regulatory agencies, and the SEC, that you can look up by name that financial advisor and see if they've had any disciplinary action against them. Uh, So that's a little bit of a background check that you can do. Yeah. Yep. And the other thing that I find with various financial advisors and financial planners is that if you, as the person looking to hire them, are, are getting the feeling that they're trying to point you in a particular direction. If for example, you are interviewing this person and you know that you need help with cash flow and budgeting, but they keep going back to asking you questions about your 401k and how much you have in savings. And if you've ever had any other investment accounts, and they seem to be directing the conversation to what they want to talk about rather than what you want to talk about, that should also be a little bit of a red flag. Uh, In my opinion, and this is purely my opinion, a good financial planner is somebody that is going to do more listening than talking and give that person the space to be or feel or say whatever they need to during that meeting. I like that. Yeah, because it is good to point that out because you wouldn't know if that's a red flag or not if you didn't have that information, right? You would think, well, they're the experts, they're directing this and they're, you know, taking it this direction, not to, Mm -hmm. not to be thinking, oh, wait, what? No, this is not what I want to do. And so you could feel a little bit, um, you wouldn't have the confidence to say, Hey, like, this is not the direction I want to go because you could feel like, well, I, I guess I'm the one who doesn't know, um, what a financial planner does or what that looks like. So I'm glad that you said that, um, in regards to, what you do exactly, what, mm-hmm. what, what do you feel like makes you stand out differently um, as a financial planner? I mean, I know you said you listen and stuff like that, but what, yeah. what kind of clients are you generally taking on and what are you doing the most of? Because you were saying like cash flow mm-hmm. versus investment. So what do you find that the majority of your clients are doing with you? So I work with a lot of young families. Like I mentioned, I'm 37 years old. So I work with a, a lot of young families because that's kind of the life I'm living right now. You know, we've possibly still got some things we racked up in our 20s that we're still trying to pay off. Plus now we've got mortgages and car payments and children and maybe we've already experienced a career change. Who knows? There's just a lot going on at one time. So I find myself in a position of there's so much information available on the internet. If somebody is coming to me and they just need, let's say, cash flow or budget help, there is probably an online calculator they could find to help answer their questions. I try to take on more of a role like a coach or a motivator or somebody that's going to hold them accountable because that online calculator is not necessarily going to keep them on track. It'll give them information, but not help them implement it. So I'm the person that's going to understand them well enough to know what kinds of recommendations they are likely to implement and find successful to keep them on track when maybe their willpower is starting to give out a little bit, but also to help them make sure not um, that the, the, Things that we've put in place don't get completely derailed when life happens because life happens all the time. 
we don't know what's coming around the corner in the next month or year or whatever the case may be. So I like to make sure that I'm there to remind them that the world isn't coming to an end. Everything that we've planned for that's put in place has been put in place to help you be ready for the things you didn't know you needed to be ready for. Yeah, I like that. Um, so generally speaking, do financial do financial planners cost money monthly, yearly, or whenever you need to meet with them? Like, how does that work? Because I think sometimes that holds people back because yeah. they just don't know what that's going to look like, or they may be embarrassed to ask, and then they realize mm-hmm. they can't afford it. Um, so I'd love to hear how you break it down and also explain if you are the norm or does everybody do it completely different? <sighs> Everybody can do it differently, but not completely differently. We all seem to fall into um, one of two main categories. The first main category is if it is a planner who is purely investment focused, then they're going to get paid by investing money for you. And Mm. so you actually don't pay anything out of your own pocket, Mm. such as writing a check to that person. They're going to collect a percentage of the money that they invest for you. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, um, more so uh, where I spend my time with the planning and, and the coaching, if you will, is rather than charging a person one lump sum every year, or rather than even charging them per meeting, because I never want somebody to feel like they have to worry about, am I going to send them a bill every time they pick up the phone to call mm, me? Yeah. I charge, I just charge a, a simple low monthly rate. It's more oh, okay. of a, um, a membership, if sure. you will. Yeah. So that, and, and I am also not the type of person, and there are many advisors out there like me. I'm not the type of person to say, we're only going to have, you know, three phone calls a year, two emails and one face-to-face meeting. No. Right. Yeah. Every client is different. I have some clients who like to meet every month. I have other clients that are fine meeting every three months. It depends on what they need. It depends on their situation and exactly how much motivation and redirection they need in their lives. Yeah, no, that's really good to know. Um, so speaking about investments, um, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people, you know, want to consult when it comes to 401ks or retirement funds, but it seems like a topic where we just don't know how much is enough, right? And and yeah. are we doing the right thing? And many people advise to put money in so that you can live like you're living today in the future. But I mean, that is so hard to try mm-hmm. to figure out because I mean, you just don't know like how much things are going to cost and then um, who knows what's going to happen, right? So I feel like that seems to be the answer a lot of times. And then you're having to try to figure out like, okay, so this is this much and um, mm-hmm. and, and are we going to get to 65 and, you know, kind of be out of the workforce at this point and then realize, oh, we don't have enough money. And then we're having to go work at Costco and I'm not bashing Costco. Um, (laughs) But like people, I feel like they have to do that because, you know, Costco, we'll use that for example, they have good um, benefits and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is if they want, if people want to do a job like that, that's one thing because they're like, oh, this is great. I want to have something to do. It's another thing when you feel like, oh no, I came up mm-hmm. short and you're mm-hmm. panicked and you have to, now you can't get back into a corporate job because now you're too old and, and you know, they're hiring younger people with lower salaries and stuff like yep. that. So what do you advise? And I mean, I know this is going to be a base, you know, it's, it's different for everyone. Um, and Generally speaking, what would you try to help people understand when it comes to saving for the future with our retirement funds? Yeah, I like to sort of flip it around a little bit rather than thinking about how much money I might need to maintain my lifestyle when I'm 65 or 70. I like to flip it around and look at where I am today. And first of all, get really real with myself about what do I need today? What do I need 
There are lots of things that I want. But what do I really need? Not only to live day to day for me and my family, but you know, I want to have a lifestyle. I want to be able to have fun once in a while, take a trip to Maine, whatever the case may be. But be real about some of the extras that I might not need because I need to look at my day to day today and say, okay, I know the future is very abstract. It's for me, it's like 30 years away before I might need to tap into this. But it needs to be just real enough for me to commit to the fact that I want to have choices when I'm 70 years old. What you described, Amber, and feeling like now I have to get a job at Costco is you have no choice. Right. You've left yourself without the choices. So if I can be real with myself about what I need today, chances are I'm going to be able to find some space to either increase my 401k contribution a little bit or put money in my own IRA, find something that I can really commit to without having, without living like a pauper, without really having to impede my lifestyle today. So I always like to take it day by day. And as time goes on, let's say next year, my husband gets a raise. That's great. Well, we know we lived this year very happily on what we had. We should bank that raise. Yeah. Find a way to save it. Now, would you say put that into 401k or would you say maybe put that just into savings? That depends on the situation. If you do not have an adequate cash reserve. Sure. Put it into that. Yes. You need cash. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If you, for some reason, are not putting enough in your 401k to take full advantage of your employer match put it in your 401k. You never, never want to give up on that employer sure. match. It's free money. Um, <clears throat> but something that not a lot of people I'm still surprised uh, are familiar with are Roth IRAs. If yeah. you're eligible, there are certain criteria. It's not a terrible hurdle, but certain criteria to meet to be eligible to contribute to one, but you can put money in it today. And theoretically it'll grow and grow for the next many years. And when you pull the money out, you do not pay any taxes on the growth that it's seen. So those are the three big areas that I look at first yeah. uh, as far as being able to bank that money for future use. Okay. So I'm going to tie in two of these questions because you you said um, you're bringing up the Roth and I'm going to ask yeah. you about um, the future with in regards to saving money for kids college. Mm. I mean, the college tuition rates are just going up. I mean, oh. they're just like bypassing everything. I mean, I'm everything. just kind of like, do you do people just not want kids to go to college? Because that's probably what's going to end up happening. <laughs> and so um, everybody's going to become an entrepreneur and just learn their education on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. so what I wanted to ask you about the Roth, because I knew um, we had talked about this before the interview. Yeah. So here's my question. We're gonna, I want to talk to you about the Roth in regards to saving for college. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to backtrack for after you talk about that and ask you between a 401k or a Roth, if you had the extra money, where would you put it? But I want to ask you about the college savings first, and then we'll go back to that. Sure. So college savings, that's a tricky one because we are very frequently presented with advertisements for college bound funds and college savers and these 529 plans. But I generally am not a fan of them for a handful of reasons. It's got a great uh, goal in mind to help your children defray the cost of their college education. Mm -hmm. But the trouble with it, number one, is that they can be expensive. And that's one of the things that you don't see unless you really dig into it. The funds and investment options within those 529s have internal costs that are pricey, which is what makes the performance not look so great. So as far as the 
ability for your money to earn more, the 529 is just not a great place to put it. Not to mention it can be very restrictive. You do have to use it for education. Now, one of the things that came out of some recent tax law changes is that it doesn't have to be used for just college anymore. The 529s have been expanded to be used for high school or elementary school. Mm -hmm. But then I look at that and say, okay, great. So I can use it for my child who's in elementary or high school, but that still now did not help me address my concern about saving for college. Mm -hmm. Now I've just used that money a little bit sooner. So the Roth IRA can be a way to save for college because your investment options are effectively limitless. Um, You can invest it in whatever you choose, either if you choose the investments on your own or use the guidance of your financial advisor. You're not limited to just what the program offers, as you would be in a 529. But one of the more beautiful things about a Roth IRA is that any of the money that you contribute to that Roth IRA out of your own pocket has already had taxes assessed to it. So basically what that means is if you need to pull the money back out, there's nothing left for the IRS to collect. There's no early withdrawal penalties. There's no additional taxes. So whatever principle I put into that Roth IRA, I can pull back out for any purpose, whether it be for college education or something different. Or at any time, or do you do have to wait to pull out the principle after a certain amount of time? No, when it's the principle, you can pull at any time. Okay, so if you're looking to withdraw anything that it has we gained, made, yeah, mm-hmm. that's different. That's okay. a different set of criteria. So if you put in twenty grand, okay, yep. like over time, and mm-hmm. um, you can put that towards college, or uh, you know, you need a new roof, you can pull it out. Is that what you're saying? Yes, okay. exactly. That mm-hmm. principle is always accessible. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that is really cool, and I want to back up to the five twenty nine. Yeah. Um, so I don't think people realize there's a cost to that. So can you explain what, where is that cost and where's it going? (laughs) So that's something to really get the numbers as to what those costs are. That's something you really have to dig into on the internet, looking for things called fund fact sheets. Every investment option within a 529 has to have some sort of fact sheet to go along with it so that the investor knows what the internal expenses are. And basically what those internal expenses are is it goes to the investment company that is running the fund. There is you know, a, a team of people that the investment company has to employ to make sure the money that you are putting into that plan is actually invested. It is buying stocks. It is buying bonds. It is doing whatever it needs to do behind the scenes to earn some sort of return for you as the investor. What happens in the funds that are available within these 529s is they're basically mutual funds. And the way a mutual fund is structured is if you were to pull up, let's say, cnbc.com and type in a ticker ticker symbol for Apple, you would be able to see the price of Apple stock fluctuate throughout the day as various parties are buying and selling this stock. A mutual fund is different. You're not going to see that price fluctuate throughout the day because what happens is behind the scenes, there are all of these different stocks and bonds that are mixed together to create the value for that mutual fund. At the end of the day, all of those stocks and bonds will have settled at their closing prices. The investment company will take their fees out and then they will publish what they refer to as a net asset value. The net value of all of the assets within that fund after they've taken their fees. Mm. So the net asset value is all the investor sees on a regular basis as far as the performance of that fund goes. You don't, you don't see the fees that they take as a line item on a statement. That is interesting. And I don't know if people would really realize that. Yeah. 
It takes some digging. It's gotten better over the years, but it does take some digging to understand exactly what you're paying for in, in funds like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of kids, um, as a financial planner and a mom, what do you wish parents were doing more of when it comes to teaching our kids about money? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) our children are very, very accustomed to instant gratification Mm -hmm. and mine are no different. I will absolutely admit that. Um, but when it comes to money, it takes practice to teach them exactly what value it has. So what I, what I like to do with my girls is um, they love stores like the dollar store or Claire's where they can get their barrettes right. and things. Mm-hmm. And rather than them asking me constantly to buy them things, I like to send them off with some money from their bank that they've earned, either doing a chore or a good behavior or something to that effect. And they know they have, let's say that $10 that they can use toward whatever they want to buy. So we'll go around the store and they'll say, Hey mommy, I like this. And we'll look at the price tag together. So they know whether or not it's something that they can afford. The dollar store is fantastic because that $10 goes, it goes such a long way. Mm -hmm. And they get excited about that because not only have they earned that money to be able to get themselves what they want. Now they're also able to make choices about what they're going to spend that money on. And, you know, funny enough, just a few weeks ago, my youngest had gone off to an event with my husband. So my older one and I were able to go off and have our own little evening together. And we went out to dinner and we we did go to Claire's that night. We actually made it through the entire store and she didn't see anything that she wanted mm, badly enough. I love it. That was the first time it had ever happened. I was shocked. I was so proud. I was just, you know, mommy, not, not today. I'm all right. Aww. So it, it teaches them that, you know what, if I spend this now, I won't have it next time I want to go shopping. And if I'm not seeing something that really gets me excited, I'll be okay. I'll pass. You know? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that we talk about, and I, I imagine this is common in, in many schools, my go- my girls go to public school and mm-hmm. they come home with a lot of um, charities and fundraisers mm-hmm. and things for a lot of national organizations. And what these fundraisers have started doing is they're starting to give kids prizes for um, bringing in these donations. So if they manage to bring in $10 in donations, they give them a keychain. And my girls will see other students in the classroom getting these prizes. Yes. So they'll come home and they'll uh-huh. say, mom, I need to empty my piggy bank. <laughs> I have to help so-and-so because I need to get a bracelet. <laughs> yeah. So that's another opportunity for a conversation about, first of all, okay, tell me what you're raising money for. Tell me exactly what's going on. If you can tell me that so-and-so has a heart condition and this helps them find a cure. Great. I love that idea. So let's take a little bit. (laughs) We can take a bit from your piggy bank to donate to this really great cause, but you know what? Save a little bit, either in case we go out together one night or in case another opportunity comes up where you can help another, another kid. So kind of like keeping that. them in check yeah. a little bit as to making sure they know there's always something that could come up down the road that they might want to participate in and give them that sense of, of future looking forward to what might be coming. Yeah, I totally agree. So Christina, we're almost at the end of the show, but I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, um, what is your thoughts or, and, or how do you advise your clients when it comes to the cash flow? Cause you were saying, you know, mm. when I asked you about the raise, you're like, well, it depends on your cash flow to, you yeah. know, where you're going to put the money. But with that said, how do you help people figure out um, their buffer or their emergency fund? How much, um, how many months do you prefer your clients to have? And and how do you help them, you know, figure all of that out so that they are set if something comes up, which we know it will, it's just a mm-hmm. matter of time. Um, yeah. So how do you, how do you go about um, doing that with your clients? 
So I do use a pretty standard rule of thumb where I guide them to have between three and six months of their fixed expenses in emergency savings. And when I say fixed expenses, I mean things like your mortgage and your food and I mean the, the, your heat, your shelter and your food, the things that you right. need to survive. If it means maybe not having the cell phone, that's, that's a negotiable. Those are things that we can work through. But actually the, the more important piece that I help my clients with is how to actually get them to accumulate that kind of money, because we all have a sense in our minds, even if we don't know the rule of thumb of, you know, three and three to six months of your sure. fixed expenses, we all have a sense of, we should have something, something in cash. If we have an emergency, I am the absolute biggest fan of whatever automatic savings you can incorporate there, there isn't a bank left in this country that doesn't have a sophisticated enough online yeah. banking program where you can't right. set up an automatic transfer between your checking and savings account. And just setting up a small dollar amount every week or every pay period that is moving into your savings account without you having to think about it is going to be the best way for you to get yourself on track with having some emergency savings. Yes. So I'm going to ask you a question. So here, mm. okay. So th- say you have three to six months of mm-hmm. emergency money, right? Yeah. So if you were, okay, so because there's there's components that you can think about. It's, well, if you lost your job, right? And then, mm-hmm. okay, so you need that money. But if you needed new tires or something or a new air conditioner, mm-hmm. you're going to take out of that three to six months buffer or whatever, correct? And then mm. you have to build it back. Is that yes. what you're, th- so that all goes into that, right? But then you have to, or do you feel like the three to six months really should be like, if you lose your job and then you should have other money. I mean, we all want like so much money to fill all the <laughs> <Right>. buckets. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but since you're a financial planner, I'm just wondering like, how does your mindset work when you're trying to help your clients? Do you feel like that mm-hmm. all goes in together? My, my thing that I always get freaked out about is, okay, so say you have three months and then you have an uh, air conditioner that blows and that's yep. five grand. And then, so you're five grand down and then mm-hmm. you do lose a job and then you're like, Oh, I'm five day. I'm five grand down, um, from my three month buffer or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. then now you're really tight. I mean, in a perfect world, I would like to have all this extra money that goes to all the things that can break and then yeah. the buffers yeah. for the job. But we only have so much money, discretionary money to keep saving. So mm-hmm. I mean, in a perfect world, that would be awesome but I don't know how realistic that is. So I wonder, like, how do you go about that? Sure. It's funny you asked me this question because so often I have conversations with clients who have needed to dip into their savings for whatever came up, tires or or an air conditioner or something like that. And because they've built their savings account and it took so much work to build that savings account, it's almost painful. Oh, you don't want to, to do make it. That withdrawal. Oh, yes. You don't want to touch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But my opinion is that's what it's there for. Because yeah. let's face it, if yeah. you don't use the savings account for that thing that comes up, right. and the only other alternative you have is a credit card, you <laughs> yeah. still have to pay back the credit yeah. card. Yeah. With and interest. interest. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather see you formulate a way to pay yourself back. Now, unfor- right. I mean, if the perfect storm of things comes up where you have a very large expense and then you lose your job, that's, I mean, that's awful. Yeah. That's right. absolutely awful. Yeah. And, and you know what? You deal with it if it comes up. But if you didn't have the big expense and you lost your job, but you still have the big credit card balance, you're kind of in the same spot Yeah. of having yeah. something that you need to pay that you can't afford to pay. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I am I am a fan of building your savings so you can use it for those things you weren't expecting. Yeah, and and, and I I'm glad that you said it because it is painful when you think <laughs> how long yeah. it takes to save. You never mm-hmm. really actually want to use it. 
even though that's no. what it's there for, because you know how long it's going to take to get back. And then you're also hoping that nothing else breaks, that it brings right. that back down. And then you're just like, oh gosh, this is going to take forever. Um, mm-hmm. So I can see why people don't want to do it, but yeah, but you don't want to be paying the interest rates on the credit card. I mean, it'll just no. put you back even further. Exactly. You know, I had a conversation just yesterday with a client who um, unfortunately just learned she's a pharmacist and she just learned that they are closing her store. So she actually oh. had to re-interview for her job so they could move her to another store. And over the last two weeks of her knowing this information, she managed to cut her spending because she's worried about whether or not she's going to have a job in the next few weeks. Yeah. But she's still enjoying her life. And she's realizing that she had a little bit of a different motivation in her life right now. Her motivation was, I don't know if I'm going to have a job in a few weeks. I need to watch where I'm spending my money. It doesn't mean that she quit going out to dinner altogether, but she was more mindful of it. And she was actually able to make a bigger transfer into her savings account during those two weeks. So when I see people in a situation where they have to pull from their savings account for whatever expense may be there, they now have a new motivation to replenish that savings account, which makes them look more closely and and spend more mindfully during their day to day. It's all a matter of where does your motivation and your inspiration come from? Exactly. No, that is a really good point. So it's, it's, it's maybe um, a challenge for people to kind of think about if they were to lose their job or they know they're going to lose their job, what things could you really look at to cut out yeah. to just kind of put more into savings? So that was great. Well, yeah. Christina, we're at the end of the show and I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And um, I feel like it will really kind of help people to get a better understanding of financial planners and also just I don't know, to think a little bit differently about um, how to save and maybe open a Roth. And so I appreciate um, all your knowledge. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. Hey, you guys, have you subscribed to the Mom Inspired Show email list yet? If you want to have discounts sent to your email and links to the books we discuss on the show, as well as all the guests information, then you will want to subscribe. That way, every episode will show up in your inbox every Tuesday, and you won't have to go searching for the newest episode. It will be right at your fingertips. So just go to mominspiredshow.com and scroll down and enter your name and email, and you will be all set. See you next week.